Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I am absolutely delighted by the responses we got to last week's episode. <laughs> I, I was sharing some of them with you earlier. And the funniest thing about it, like, which I, I appreciate it. It's always fun to get to hear people's thoughts. But the thing that's been making me laugh the most is anytime there's a new movie or there's a new show and, you know, people have a disagreement with it. The first thing out of people's mouth is, well, you know, you know, not everything's for everybody. It's OK if you have difference of opinions. Yeah. But the moment you introduce a bracket, all hell breaks <laughs> loose. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, what's so funny to me is some of those, it was random. Like some movies moved on because it was random and some movies early on went head to head with really good movies. And I think that the, the inclusion of the timer, like forcing the conversation in directions you're not expecting, like when the timer ran out on the winter soldier and iron man three and that was being such a good argument it was hard not to go with iron man three in that moment yeah. but it'd be interesting to think of like okay what if we had eight minutes what would have happened after that kind of thing hmm. right it's yeah. so, like i have been thinking about that episode a lot because it was so much fun and i was so focused on making sure like the bones of the outline was good i'm already excited for whenever we do it next because i i feel like there will be ways to improve and keep making it because it was a, it was it's a fun concept yeah. Well, okay. And for everybody that, that listens regularly knows we edit, right? Um, we want it to, we want it to sound good. We want to try to have the best podcast out, um, out that we can, can produce. There wasn't any editing on that. They were like, it, you hit the timer and it was five minutes and we didn't like pause and discuss. It was like, okay, that's the timer. Let's vote. Um, and so I really like that, that we stuck to it of like timer, no, shut it down, vote, and then go to the next one. So that was, that was fun. Yeah. And just like, just in case anybody is actually like timing it on their end, the timer is real to the recording, but because I do like the automatic silence removals, it may be shortened a little bit if there's like a half second pause in between, but the timing was enforced in the recording, which is yes. really fun. Yeah. There was no like pause and, you know. Uh, well, I mean, truth be told, I didn't go in planning on arguing for this movie, Thor. <laughs> I am genuinely shocked because Nick Sandy went in there as a joke. Yeah. And you came in like, well, hold on. And you went against your favorite Spider-Man. Yeah. Not just your favorite superhero. I think your favorite Spider-Man movie in the Spider-Man trilogy. Yes, actually. <laughs> Homecoming is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I just, uh, I, was, you know, I didn't want, I was like, okay, so let's get, I, my thought was, I'm going to give Thor a fair shot. I'm going to try to make an argument for it because... It, it was it's too predictable to easily just say okay it's spider-man it's homecoming move on you know and let's let's really talk about thor and see what merits it has in in the context of what we're doing here this trilogy and so as i as i even spoke more i was just like okay i'm really convincing myself too that this this one should move on well on that note unintentionally but almost seemingly by design if you downloaded this episode, you know we're going to be talking about Thor from 2011. But before we get there, I do want to take a quick moment to have a bit of house cleaning here at the top. Uh, I was talking to Jude about this earlier. I am personally 
taking a bit of a social media break, which also means in turn, uh, the MCU need to know social accounts are probably going to be quiet for a little bit. Uh, I'm looking to kind of take like just a month of not worrying about that just for my own mental health and trying to break my bad social media habits. But after a month, it should be returning back to normal. So I thought it'd be good to let people know up here at the top, uh, you know, a little bit in the discord too. We'll be, I'll be pulling back from that. Uh, mainly just trying to instill a discipline of only really responding on discord in the evenings rather than just kind of being plugged in all day. So mm-hmm. just wanted to let people know. Yeah, no. And I think that's good. Like as people have noticed, I am assuming maybe they didn't. Oh no. no. They didn't <laughs> notice. Oh my God. No. <laughs> like I, I've taken my step back. Um, you know, it was that time of the school year that I needed to finish and get through and just, focus on my work, helping my kids get through school and, and all of that. And yeah. And so I've had that, I, I get it. Same thing. And, you know, hopefully I was, uh, hopefully same around time. I was actually hopefully trying to look at July. Um, cause I was thinking June has summer school. Let me get through that. Um, I was working through, uh, some applications for going back to school. Um, and you know, I want to get all, all that kind of sorted and, you know, and so I, I had, july kind of circled that's funny because we haven't talked about this at all until no, this just... is the first time yeah right and so the fact that we both landed on july is really funny <laughs> so the podcast will continue as normal but uh as far as just online presence goes that will be dialed back a little bit until july so thor thor love and thunder will be the the coming out party uh it's so funny with with thor the party thor we're gonna do. I'm rushing back okay oh man well it is funny we we haven't gotten into it yet i will say this it is funny watching this thor how many moments reminded me of what if and i couldn't help but think of you and party (laughs) thor throughout the entire time watching this (laughs) oh man but like i said if you download this you know we're going to be doing our retrospective review on thor from 2011 and the way we're going to do this is we're going to break this down into three acts so Starting with the first act, this is going to take us in the beginning of the movie all the way through Thor being banished to Earth. So, starting with you, Jude, where would you like to begin within Act 1? I think it was interesting that as I was re-watching this, I remembered it differently. And, and this isn't a big deal. I'm just, I found that interesting where... I should have put Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, like, well, no, I'm just, the sequence of events, right? Where, where you see Jane Foster kind of in, in the desert and had the the big rainbow bridge, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember the Einstein boson, you know, as they call it. But like, I just, I kind of thought of that as like that came second and we saw the big like fanfare right up front, you know? And so my memory was, was different of, of the sequencing of things. So it, that really stood out to me on, on this in the beginning. And only because, again, it was, it's, it, I found it was like, huh, it's, it's an origin story. We're introducing a new character, but we don't get him right away, you know, and just the sequencing. So that, that's, you know, I just found that to be an interesting choice. Yeah, because it's about, what, a good 10 minutes before he shows up? I think, yeah. Maybe longer? Maybe yeah. longer. Because, I mean, technically, you get the kid Thor, but. Right like Hemsworth himself is a good chunk of time into the movie. Yeah. Oh, you know what my other thought was when you had like little kid Thor and little kid Loki and you know, Loki's just like 
you know, the good kid, like just soaking all this stuff in and Thor's like, yeah, bash their head in kind of, you know, just that really aggressive. It's like, oh man, this is, this is what it's like growing up in Texas when you're little. Like, <laughs> like you, you either, you either fit in or you don't. <laughs> it's super aggressive. <laughs> like, football <laughs> that's like that i don't know why but that came to my head <laughs> just flashbacks to like elementary yeah just like you know uh. oh man that's so funny because this is a tangent we might cut this but i remember in middle school not quite that young whenever i started playing football for a little bit and then found out i was not cut out for football i went to pe and so it was like i was somewhere in between pe and football as terms of like athleticism and it just ended with me just sitting in a corner because I didn't quite want to do football, but everything they were doing in PE was so boring. Yeah. 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 But like, and I played, a fo- I played a lot of football in, in middle, in, you know, the middle school and, and a little bit in high school, but it, it's just, I find it funny of like, I'm not complaining, not complaining about my childhood or something like that, but there was just something about that, Loki's just inquisitiveness that wasn't there with Thor, you know, that just kind of stood out to me this time that I don't think I, I don't think stood out to me that first time. There's an adorable sadness to it because at that point he hasn't not corrupted, but he's not the mischievous, like God of mischief that you see once we see him as adult Hiddleston. No, no, no. I guess, I guess that's what it is. It's not just that, Okay, well, if you think about the show Loki, right? And it was kind of like, oh, that's just what you do when you're always to do that and be that. And that scene, I'm like, no, you kind of grew into that. It felt more environment. Let's put it that way. The nur- uh, I mean, uh, nature versus nurture. It felt more nurture and environment than like, oh, that's in his nature to be mischievous. And that one little scene, you know, and that's just, you know, kind of, I don't know why that just really jumped out to me. You know, in the beginning of of this act, something that stood out to me that I feel like I've had a bit of an inkling for, but I, because we talked about it in the the bracket episode where Kevin Feige mentioned that Thor was one of the, like, casting Thor was one of the biggest decisions they were going to make for Marvel Studios because this was going to be the launching pad for an entire side of the MCU, like the cosmic side. And so I hadn't seen. Thor since reading that article. And so now watching it, it really stands out to me how much or how special it is that this movie captures the civilian's perspective before gods and space and aliens became the norm. Oh, yeah. Seeing Jane Foster and the crew and that car and they're just kind of like this air of mystery. Like at this point in the MCU, Tony Stark's around, Incredible Hulk's been around, but that's all like native to Earth. The see the way that this movie, like even with the opening with Odin, as he's describing how ancient civilizations used to worship them as deities. Yeah. Like they used to just accept that simple fact to see them trying to reestablish a civilization that will accept these gods as just common fact in present day MCU. I felt that constant push and pull within the movie that I didn't feel until this watch through here. Yeah. Well, and one of the things from the very first time I saw this movie, one of the things I've always liked about it was that ability to understand its Thor and take itself seriously, you know, of like, 
this is Thor. This is Odin. You know, okay. There's there's a little bit of silliness, ridiculousness to it, but we're gonna care about these characters, care about the their their arc, um, and their story, and take that seriously. You know, and, and which which made that a really good good balance. You know, well, one of the things. Let me check the outline. But okay, I'm gonna go ahead and say this, even though this is Act Two. One of the things I, for me, the example would be when Thor, you know, has his coffee and smashes the mug and says another, you know, well, I know that's act two, but it's just a good example of that silliness, but seriousness and and dealing with someone outside of their own culture, you know, and and just kind of being naive about that and just doing what they would normally do, Um, you know, and it shows the arrogance of Thor. Yeah, so for as much work as they're trying to do, like what I was saying about establishing this cosmic side of the MCU, I like that you bring up that almost fish-out-of-water nature that we see take form in Act 2. And the reason that is so successful is that the opening act, or at least the reason I think it's successful, is that the opening act really establishes like a power scale that is of a heightened range than we've seen at this point in the MCU, but the characters are still really flawed. Yeah. Thor's arrogance. Oh yeah. Thor's petulance. Like when he throws that tantrum at the coronation after his big day is ruined. Yeah. Like I like that they are showing that, okay, these aren't perfect gods. They are still uh, fallible. And I thought that's, um, and not endearing, but that that makes them feel more real yeah. and can play in that space of like, this is serious, this is Thor, but also I, I'll i have another well, kind of thing. And then he has a lot to, like, he has a lot to learn, but it's this place of privilege that Thor has had his whole life and he throws that fit, doesn't listen to his dad, the king, goes running off, expects king dad shows up to agree with them fight with us you know there and his dad we'll fight side by side yeah, right and, his, and, <laughs> and odin odin doesn't and brings him back and his look your arrogance and stupidity you're a boy like he constantly keeps yeah. saying like these are the actions of a boy yeah well and, it, and it's interesting because you know i mean and a lot of people i think have made the case that this is all on odin like like, hey, if you would have made better choices as a parent, and I don't know, maybe not said, hey, both of y'all are born to be kings, but only one of you gets it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, thanks, Dad. Like, we're going to have tryouts, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but, but they do do a good job, though, of, of I mean, knocking Thor down, you know, and, and so you, so you, so he is. Has some has a character has a story that they have to build up and something he has to overcome, you know, and, and we see it very clearly. You know, we're going to get into this once we get to the final act of the movie, but I want to start laying the groundwork here because another thing that was uh, revelatory for me in this watch is just how much that sequence in Jotunheim is an inverse of Thor's actions at the end. So at least doing the work now. You know, Thor convinces Sif and the Warriors Three and Loki to go take on Lofi in Jotunheim to pay for the actions that he's done. And like I like functionally, I've always understood what they're doing. It's like, okay, they're showing he's arrogant, they're showing that he needs to be humbled and he needs to learn to think of others outside of himself. But the way that they really emphasize how much Thor is putting them at risk 
just to play in the vanity of like getting to demonstrate his power, getting to show off against Luffy. Because they have that scene where Luffy's like, go before I change my mind. Loki intervenes and starts pulling away. And then the the other frost giant throws that remark and Thor's excited to have that reason to to go back in. So he's like looking for that fight. And that, I think, contrasts nicely by what we get to by the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's some clever writing there, too. Um, only because it, it would, I think, for an audience, maybe it would be even harder for us to say, why do I want to watch this guy's redemption story? If you don't have, like, he's about to walk away, you get that line. Okay, so he was provoked. Was he? Yeah. Only if it, you accept his egos as fragile as it is to be provoked by that. Right. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> and so it's, it's, um, well, it's the, the equivalent of the, the kid on the playground. They're like, if you look at me, you know, and then, and then they work their way around. So like, you don't have a choice because you're standing in that direction. They're looking, <laughs> you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, I told you not to look no, at No, that's me. love and thunder. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you get, you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. So it's just like, yeah. So I, I do think that was some clever, uh, clever writing right there. Or well, not clever writing, but like it, it was important to have that line. It's structurally sound. Like it, it's, there you it's go. that's, a, that's a good way to put it. You know, I, we talked, or I can say we can talk about the merits of Odin as a paternal figure to these two boys. But I want to specifically focus in on Anthony Hopkins' performance because he is phenomenal in the beginning. Not only does he give the opening narration over the history of this side of Asgard, but there are, I think, few people that can pull off that speech that he gives to, to Thor when he's just dismantling him and telling him you're not worthy, then have Loki come in trying to defend him. And he just straight up growls at him. Mm-hmm. And it's not funny. Like, it's just really like, oh, like he growled and it it makes me scared every time I hear it. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny. So I'm, I'm watching this, you know, for the pod, because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And my wife. <laughs> that's and what heroes do. That's what heroes do. Um, sitting on the couch and she's like, man, they did, they did, they did Odin dirty. (laughs) 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 And that's, and she goes, can I get it? But that's not the really like like, thinking about like the actual like mythology and and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) This is Fisher Price Odin. Yeah. Well, digestible for everybody. Well, I, I mean that and just, well, she was on, you know, a while a while back to talk yeah. about Ragnarok and stuff, and so for for that is, is she's watching and that and that you know seeing how what how Odin's being portrayed, and she's like, no, no. <laughs> you know, we talked a little bit about Loki. Something that I liked rewatching for the first time, now having seen Loki, now having seen more of him in the MCU is the very first interaction that we see of adult Loki. Because I know we get child Loki earlier, but the very first time we see Hiddleston actually speaking and interacting with Thor, I love that it's just straight up pure manipulation on his part. Mm-hmm. Like he's straight up, he's he's like next to Thor, he's like, for the record, I agreed with you, but what can you do? And father says no, we say no. And he waits for like just a half second. And he's like, wait, no, I know that face. So he's like provoking Thor without really having to openly say it, which could probably speak a little bit more to Thor himself, but I think it also speaks volumes for 
Loki's cleverness and manipulation. And it's just, it's a really great grounding scene of who this, this type of character is to start with. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? And that was, that was the struggle for me this time around watching that. I was just like, I, it just the young Loki just took me so differently this time. Um, that it was almost like, I, I felt like I, I was like, I want to see more. It was like, how did, I, I want to know more about Loki. How did they get from this, you know, this interested inquisitive to the super mischievous, you know, or, or no, how about this? The, the kid who, you know, what was the, the story in Ragnarok that, you know, he knows I love snakes or whatever, or, or and then, it, you know, it turns in and tries to stab me or the one that cuts Sif's hair. Um, which are great stories, especially the the cutting Lady Sif's hair uh, from the actual Norse mythology. But it's like seeing that little kid. I was like, oh man, I want I want that. I want to see. Give me a scene or two of this. You know. Yeah. How do you, how do you get from that to the yeah. hurt version yeah. of Loki? And and so that's and and they tried to give it to us right. The 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 whole. Well, I'm gonna say this. Like so, this was in 2011, right? Yes. And. We get Loki, we get Sylvie in the Loki show, right? And I remember listening to, there was an idea, TK and CH, and talk about um, how queer the show was. That also was coming up in the back of my head of, of, of this with Loki, you know, whereas like, so the, so without showing us the childhood stuff, the turn, the stuff that they gave us was, that his arm was grabbed and it didn't hurt him, right? Because he was a frost giant. Well, before that, you did get, you got the sense for me that he already knew something was different about him. And, and this confirmed, and that kind of confirmed it for him. And then he went and grabbed this and uh, uh, the, the big block. I don't know why I can't remember the name of all these things are now. The, the casket. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I blank? I know why I'm blinking, but anyways, um, <laughs> finish your thought and I'll come in. I'll go on that limb with you, but he turns and he has that conversation with Odin, you know, and he's like, who am I? You're my son. Okay. Who am I really? And so this time I'm seeing a lot more of that already there, you know? And, and so while those scenes, I think is what the purpose or the purpose of those scenes was for that. I definitely wish they would gave us a little bit more. You know, and it was a pretty quick movie too. I think there was room for that. It's uh, two hours and four minutes. So you know, you talked about like watching it for the pod and the joke. That's what heroes do. I will say this: I was of two minds. I was like, okay, I'm excited to watch Thor for the pod. The other non-pod side of my mind was like, thank God it's only two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Just like trying to find time to rewatch it for the podcast, like. When these movies get into the two and a half hour range, it's like, oh man, that's so much time to try and fit in before we record. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. I definitely understand that. <laughs> okay, so it feels like we can move into the second act, but I did want to go out on this limb with you before we get there. So it's very funny to me that you were like, oh, I can't remember the name of the casket. I have seen this movie twice before this recording now. I now know it is called The Casket. <laughs> the moment this movie leaves my mind, I'm going to think it's the Tesseract. Every time I'm not watching this movie, it for some reason, I feel like it's the Tesseract. And when I restart the movie, I'm like, 
Oh yeah, it's that thing. Yeah, it's the ice cube. <laughs> yeah. But I this is the third time I've seen this movie. I admit that. Yeah. For whatever reason, I just always assumed it was the Tesseract that they were playing with. Yeah, so there, there's my first watch was you know how many people just spit their drink out as I said that because Thor beat out Homecoming. This is only the third time I've seen it. <laughs> when it's that good, you only need two times. <laughs> right. uh, but the watch prepping, prepping for Avengers and then once in prepping for Infinity War, doing the, the big rewatch. So you didn't even... <laughs> You didn't even watch it at release and you still picked it over Homecoming. <laughs> Which I'm not going to throw you out completely to the wolves. I picked with you, but I'll never get over that you picked it against one of your favorite Spider-Man films. <laughs> I went to bat for the Winter Soldier in the first round. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It was first Avenger. Never mind. You were you were on Winter Soldier from the get-go. Yeah. Oh, no, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, man. So anyway, I just wanted to go out on that limb with you on the casket. You're not alone. I will forget by the time nice. this podcast is over. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, moving into act two, this is going to take us from Jane and the crew taking Thor to the hospital all the way to Selvig taking Thor to the bar and asking him to leave town. But specifically, the reason I wanted to transition into act two is you were doing a wonderful job setting up the Loki in this movie versus the Loki we've come to know him through subsequent entries in the MCU. And the thing that I really like, like I, I feel like I can confidently say that scene between him and Odin where he's like, tell me that scene is what solidified Hiddleston staying in the MCU longer than I think the narrative called for, mm -hmm. because that was such a wonderfully acted scene. You could feel the emotion in his performance. But the thing that I find so heartbreaking is we've talked about it. Loki is the god of mischief. Yeah. But one of the things that I feel like we learned in the Loki series is that so much of the way he feels is just through coincidentally being wrongly affirmed. Like that feeling he had of Odin being like, I picked you up because I thought, you know, maybe someday we could use you as a way to create a truce between Jotunheim. Mm -hmm. And even though that was the intentionality i do think thor odin and frigga all do genuinely care about loki but he is unable to see past that hurt feeling and so yeah i i see what you mean where it feels like there is this not feel like there is a missing gap we don't see where child loki starts to where this loki gets to but that emotional catharsis of loki trying to act out against this revelation, I think, really feels in those gaps, that history. You can feel the tension of his performance there. And the way they follow this up is towards the end of this act, they have a scene with Loki and his mother by Odin's bedside. And in that scene, you can see Frigga is counteracting that false assertion that nobody actually cared for him. Like she is showing genuine care and he's receiving it. You can see it in Hiddleston's performance. But the tragic thing that I think whether it's got to be intentional, it was just well done, is she unknowingly uses the phrase, there's always a purpose to everything your father does. And that was the moment that pushed Loki back. Like it felt like he was teetering on a path that maybe could bring him back to that sincerity we saw in the beginning. But because of that, again, unknowingly use of purpose from Frigga, the person that was making the most headway, I thought that was really good writing on this movie's part. Mm -hmm. Oh, so what is, what is the, well, well, I'll say not, not to downplay it, but what is, what is the typical 
you know, the, the whole, like, we know mom loves us, but we, we, you know, we need dad's approval mm-hmm. kind of, you know, psychology. Um, again, I'm playing a little bit out of my realm on this, but, but just that idea of like, when you start talking about what is fatherhood and what are people's relationships to their father, you get this idea of a wound that people carry that, you know, that typically you'd hear it called the father wound that, and depending on who it is, it's, it can be more drastic than others. You know, um, your dad might be wonderful, but there's something there because you're always wanting the approval or your dad might be Walter White um, or Odin, Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, uh, you know, but, but the reason why I bring that up is you mentioned that with that line, because, because also when you get to the show Loki, what's the thread that, that, that's pulled through glorious purpose, you know? And, and so if she's saying that, you know, Odin, you know, always does stuff with a purpose and, you know, and you, and you want to think about what that is and what that father wound is that, that then drives in him and, and carries him through you know, it is this is, am I, am I wanted? Am I loved? Okay. So I have this purpose. I have this glorious purpose and I'm going to spend my life showing dad that I have this glorious purpose. Oh man, you took what I had and went one step further and I love it. I didn't make that connection to glorious purpose whatsoever, but that's beautiful. Uh, and I wanted to, to reemphasize it cause I think I set it up poorly. The reason why I said it was significant that Frigga used the word purpose in that argument with Odin and Loki Loki, I think specifically saying, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And that's what Odin said. And so that that word comes back to haunt him. And the fact that that's a line that gets continued with glorious purpose mm-hmm. through the series, that's really, really strong writing. And just to hammer home how much thought I think is put into Loki's psychology, there is a scene after Thor fails to pick up Mjolnir and Coulson's questioning him and he goes away and Loki comes in. Loki makes a line where he says, how cruel of father to put the hammer within reach, knowing you could never lift it. And so you're seeing Loki's truth come through his lie for Thor. So it's truly a sense of pain that that's what Thor, I mean, that's what Odin did to Loki. He put the throne in front of him, knowing that he could never truly have it. Right. No, I love that. Um, Cause that's a mischievous Loki thing to do, you know, to, I'm going to put salt in the wound. <laughs> he's so, he's petty. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but there's an element where it's like, you're almost like, can you blame him in that moment? At this point, he hasn't taken anybody's eye out yet. Fair. So he's still somewhat fair. sympathetic. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Once you get to Avengers, that's a threshold that's kind of hard to come back from. <laughs> true. True. Although they brought that, they did bring him back. Took 10 years. <laughs> I was going to say, at least without, without six episodes. <laughs> It took 10 years, six episodes, and an alligator. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, that's, you know, I I was on the record last week saying I don't think Thor The Dark World is as bad as everybody says, but it's a better Loki movie than it is a Thor movie. I really think now having watched this even more recently, Loki is the saving grace of the first two Thor films. Mm-hmm. Like I think Thor, by the time we get to Ragnarok, Thor and Loki are on par, but Lo- the just right there, that everything that we were able to pull out together through the psychology of Loki, I think they just, they, I don't want to say they got lucky, but they, I don't think they 
truly appreciated what they had in Hiddleston until you get to the Avengers. Yeah. Well, it, well, a couple of things. A, one of the arguments for Thor going on from Homecoming, if you're new to the pod, go listen to the previous episode on the bracket, was that we got Loki out of it, you know? And, and I do find it interesting because you can find, I think you can find it on YouTube where Hiddleston auditioned for Thor originally. Um, that would have changed things so much, you know, significantly, you know, now, I mean, I get it. They're actors are playing a part. So like in theory, yeah, he could have done Thor and someone else could have done Loki, <laughs> but it's one of those where it's just, it's hard to see it. Yeah. So were there any other things that stood out to you in act two that you wanted to circle in on? I kind of already mentioned it. I just, I liked what they did, you know, to, to do that fish out of water culturally, there, I, I, I think there was some issues and some problems in how they showed Jane and developed the Thor Jane relationship, you know, so that didn't quite work, but I, I, I did like the, the comedy aspect that they were able to pull, pull into it. You know, I think, I think my favorite, I think this had probably one of my early on favorite Easter eggs, which, which was, um, although I did see it different this time, which is interesting. Uh, Jane Foster's ex, Dr. Blake, because, oh. because that was in the early sixties or yeah, through the sixties comics, that was, um, Thor's alter ego, you know? Yeah. And he would turn into Thor. And, and so that was something that I, I really liked. Uh, but what did stick out to me this time was the, the whole, that's my ex line only because it's like, you you have this scene with Hemsworth and his shirt off, right? And immediately where my head went to, and it's like, this is the only shirt I have. This is my ex. And it fits him. I was like, are you telling me Jane Foster has a type? Like, like what? Like, I, it, it made me think of like, what are you trying to, I mean, it was, it, it was an interesting way to put that Easter egg in there. And I really enjoyed that, that Easter egg and, and the way they put it in there. But it also, it's like, okay, in that choice, what were you trying to tell us about this character? You know, um, which I don't think I thought of the first time or second time I, in the second time I saw it. Um, you know, so, so as much as I did really enjoy this movie, I think in the, in that watching that interaction just didn't, didn't quite do it. One of the things I wanted to set up in that first act that I didn't quite get to, but I think fits here, this movie feels dated in a way that I don't think a lot of the MCU movies feel. Because up until this point in phase one, Iron Man holds up. Yeah. And I'm speaking partic- like specifically visually. Yeah. Iron Man holds up. Iron Man 2 holds up. Hulk, eh, not that great. Captain America, because of the World War II nature, it feels timeless. And then Thor, I think, of that phase one set, Thor and Hulk, I think, really show their age. Mm-hmm. And then part of, or moving beyond just visually showing its age, they weigh, the way they treat the writing of women, I think, is just... it. Every time I wanted to take notes about Jane Foster, all my note would come back to is, I'm so excited for Love and Thunder. Like, I'm so glad that... Because Natalie Portman is... A wonderful actress, and I'm glad that they're getting a chance to, I don't even want to say give her a second chance, that she gets an opportunity to have a a hopefully better written character, because maybe other than two or three scenes, every Jane scene is just like fawning over Thor. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it's like, 
I know it is. They needed that that relationship to work because that's the hinging moment by the time we get to the end of the film is that they can't be together. But it's it's so thinly written to get to somewhere rather than it being something it, a fully dimensional character. Well, it's interesting because when I saw Thor getting ready for Avengers, I remember my wife saying, was like, why would Natalie Portman do this? And I didn't think much of it at the time, you know, but I think she has a really good point. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I know she has a really good point, but at the time I didn't think much about it, but now, you know, thinking back to even that time for the things Natalie Wortman's done leading up to Thor, that was a very interesting choice. Yeah. There's just not a lot there, unfortunately. And again, strictly writing wise, it's just that there wasn't much of a role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although when you said, uh, does she have a type? I immediately thought of Happy from the What If Zombies episode where he had the <laughs> shirt that said, I'm not single. I'm saving myself for Thor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But that's, you know. Well, on the topic of this movie feeling dated, I talked about visually, I talked about the writing. Another way that struck me as odd is this movie came out in 2011. I think it's supposed to still be in that 2008 era because this is kind of almost taking place simultaneously with Iron Man. So even though it's real world 2011. Yeah, because all this is that whole Fury's long week or something. Yeah. Right. So 2008, it's a year after the iPhone came out. Everybody has pre-smartphones. And it's really funny to me to see. I think Jasper Sitwell had the most technologically advanced one. <laughs> and it's like this LG chocolate something. I can't even remember. But it's it's very dated. The one that got me the most is whenever S.H.I.E.L.D. comes to Jane's uh, workspace and steals all their equipment... Selvig's like, oh, well, I'll send an email to a colleague to get this straightened out. And Darcy's like, oh, well, they stole your laptop. A few scenes later, we see Selvig going to the library to write an email. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. So, oh, that's so funny. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, because they took his phone. They took his smartphone. You know, um, I didn't. That didn't jump out at me. What did jump out me out at me was the Radio Shack line. <laughs> I miss Radio Shack, by the way, but just saying. <laughs> I do too. I always went in there with no real purpose. Oh, which is probably that's why it's why gone it's now. out of business. <laughs> but it, it, Radio Radio Shack was one of those stores that you went into with no real purpose, especially if it was the one in the mall, just to look around and play. But when you actually really needed it, it was super useful. And there's times where it's like, dude, if there was still a Radio Shack, I'd walk in and get this right away. But now it's like I have to order Amazon and wait for it to show up. Okay, I'm so thrilled the way that you had just told that story because I'm so curious. I don't know the pure demographics of our audience. I wonder how many people listening don't know what Radio Shack is. (laughs) Okay, if you don't know what Radio Shack is, take a look at your smartphone. And think of all the things it does, <laughs> and then separate all the functions it does into its own separate device in a store <laughs> that you can go and buy each individual device to have to do everything you do in one phone. <laughs> and batteries. Yes. 
every every battery you could think of. <laughs> you know, also speaking of Selvig, whenever you mentioned this movie having one of your favorite Easter eggs, the Donald Blake one, I thought you were going to go to that scene that I mentioned about Selvig uh, writing an email to his colleague. The lead into that was, I knew this this scientist that was brilliant with gamma radiation, and he got involved with S.H.I.E.L.D. and was never heard from again. I think I'd have to rewatch the first two movies again. I think that might be the first spoken, interwoven connectivity of the MCU, hmm. of him alluding to Hulk. Because we see, like, in Hulk, you see, like, Stark logos. Obviously, Stark appears in the end credit, but as far as within the movie itself, I really think Selvig mentioning or kind of alluding to Banner might be one of the first spoken ones, which is really cool. You know what? I think you're right on that. I mean, I mean I'm going to rule out the antagonist Iron Man. Yeah, it's, it feels different because it's not the movie right same thing for incredible hulk i'm gonna rule out the intag because it's not in the movie iron man 2 hmm i don't remember it referring i mean it refers back to iron man as in that it's a sequel but not another movie separate because in release order it would have had to refer to the hulk it does it does have colson refer to new mexico hmm but we don't know what that means at that point, I think. I'm going to say you're right. If we get into the weeds, maybe we can rule it out. But at least like just kind of on the surface, it feels like one of the first yeah. examples of the MCU well, being in a Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interwoven stuff in Iron Man 2. But all that happens like after the fact. That's like later movies, Winter Soldier, we need a senator that's a Hydra agent. Oh, we had a senator... Congressman and, and Iron Man too, things like that. Um, the Tesseract is like, oh, it's in his dad's notebook. Like a lot of things like that, that that were Easter eggs, but they're not the what you're talking about. The interwovenness of the characters recognizing yeah, it. Yeah, and especially because Incredible Hulk came out in 2008. This came out in 2011. First Avenger was 2011. Because that was May. It's Ju- like a few months later. Yeah, it was May, July. And then, you know, and again, that's why I said about Captain America First Avenger feeling like it was a rush to get this character done. Because you have May 2011, July 2011, and then Avengers May 2012. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That's really cool. So I have an That's ap- really cool. I have an appreciation for it, especially since it's the Incredible Hulk. That movie, I think, gets pushed aside a lot and i think it does owe some foundational piece to the mcu even if it is the least referred to i think i'd go out on that limb although it might have caught up with a lot of the ross stuff yeah between ross what if ragnarok there were some references to it she hulk yeah we'll see what she hulk does um i'll be honest i haven't i watched it not that long ago and it's on hbo max now i think um Oh, really? Um, yeah, I watched it not that long ago. It's not as bad as people think. I, I have a soft spot for it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely MCU hasn't figured out what they're doing yet in terms of one vo- one vision and one look. You know, And again, that's one of the things when I, when I look at these, go back to Thor, this vision and you know aesthetic that Kenneth Branagh gives, man, that it feels 
very consistent as Iron Man, what Iron Man gave us, what you see in Marvel's The Avengers, and that gets pulled and carried through. It basically takes the aesthetic of Iron Man and tilts it 45 degrees, apparently, for so many scenes in this movie. Yeah. Okay, I just got distracted. Okay. I could tell. <laughs> well, like I'm, I'm looking at the MCU list and I started thinking aesthetics and I'm, and I'm kind of looking at, okay, Iron Man three Thor dark world. And it's like, okay, Thor dark world did not have the same kind of aesthetic as Thor. And, and I was just kind of tracing it through. So that's a whole other episode we'll get to later. <laughs> oh, that is, Oh man, I'll have to be sure to write that. Down. <laughs> Dude. I feel like we've had like 50 episode ideas in the last three. <laughs> I know. Right. All right, so where were we? Uh, act two. <laughs> act two, we just finished talking about some of the Easter eggs, talking about the interconnectivity of Thor, uh, talking about how it's feeling dated, but also is responsible for the aesthetic of early MCU. Mm-hmm. So my, my, some of my other thoughts come, actually comes into, into Act three. Okay, well, I have two things we could talk about in Act two. Okay, so let's do that, because my head's starting to think about Act three. Okay, so like I said, I got two things I want to talk about. One of them's just silly but I do want to bring it up for the sake of talking about it. Age of Ultron. Cap and Iron Man have that conversation about, like, would an elevator be able to lift the hammer? And I think Thor says something about, like, you know, you have to be worthy. It doesn't matter if it lifts up on the elevator because it's not a person lifting mm-hmm. it. Should then the truck have been able to move it with the chain? Ooh. <laughs> hmm. I, I feel like I can get that. I can I can go either way with that. Because, I mean, you want to say, okay, the elevator doesn't have a will. Right. You have to push the button to activate the elevator. Right. That's no different than just accelerating in the truck. It's not like the truck's trying to move the hammer. Yeah, the person, hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, here's here's the question, though. Is the person making the elevator go up because it's trying to make the hammer go up or is that just kind of a unintended consequence of making the elevator go up if i understand you correctly it'll only go up if the hammer's just there as a coincidence and you need to go up but if your only intent is to go up so the hammer moves the hammer will not move the elevator yeah that makes sense to me that tracks <laughs> yeah see so i that's that's what i think uh that's something to go with mhm I think I'll go with that too. Like I said, I knew it was silly. I just wanted to bring it up for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) on the topic of the hammer, one of the things that I, again, I had this new lens at which I appreciated this movie and it is the swing that it is taking to establish the, the fantastical and the sci-fi, well, not sci-fi, but the, the cosmic side of the MCU and seeing shields response to the hammer landing in the desert where they built up this huge base and the scientific, like very, I don't know if industrial is the right word, but it's just clean and scientific and very sterile. Mm -hmm. It, it feels like a world that has stopped believing in that fantastical side, trying to contain it before it breaks. But we know where the MCU is going. We know where Thor's going. And so I like that visual imagery of trying to hold on to that old way before gods and aliens and the space side of the mcu becomes the norm so might might be a little bit of the curtains just blue but that was one of the readings i got out of watching this time Mm -hmm. around no i don't think they're blue i think uh, i think you're on you know um it just we haven't talked about it much 
but I do think Kenneth Branagh is a good filmmaker and good director. And so in that sense, I definitely could see like, yeah, there's intentionality there. I do want to throw this to you because I found this interesting that in the first two Iron Man movies, we always found it surprising how little we talked about Coulson. And that started to plant the seed for me how Coulson is a character that is super beloved Mm -hmm. in the fandom. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel like at this point, that love of the character is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because in this movie, he's kind of a jerk. And so as we've been going through these early MCU movies, I'm trying to like trace when did Coulson become the Coulson we talk about today. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like it's he's in it. I don't feel like that Coulson's in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he's Boba Fett. <laughs> uh, no, I kid. But kind of. Yeah, I mean, when you when you talk about the screen time and what he does, it's clearly more than Boba Fett through the movies. But you're right. For the passion for uh, the Phantom has, uh, the Phantom, the fandom has um, for Coulson, um, I mean, he is the through line all the way to Avengers. Yeah, you're right. And and don't no, get me wrong. I mean, you're, it's you're pure, right. It's purely on just the, the writing and I guess the, I don't even want to say fan fiction because I don't even think it's fan fiction. It's just the way Coulson morphed into something more than what he was in the beginning. Because the script just needed him to be this suit character that is coming in, finger wagging, like trying to stop Jane and crew. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me is if you have a character that says, we're the good guys, like trying to defend themselves, yeah. not necessarily a ringing <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> and I think, I will say this, I do think you start to see the Phil Coulson breaking through because he's very straight-laced at the beginning, like very uh, professional and just like to the point, we're going to take your stuff, okay, bye, have a good day. Yeah. And then by the end, it gets to the point where the the destroyer shows up and they're like, is that Stark? He goes, I don't know. That guy never tells me anything. So you're starting to see it form, but I don't think it, it's there just yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're right on that. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's interesting. You know, well, cause, <laughs> cause I remember, you know, sticking with Coulson for a second. Um, Captain Marvel. One of the things I, I really like that movie a lot, really enjoy it. And one of the things that I was disappointed in is we didn't see enough Coulson. Coulson was coming back and, oh, we're going to get to see Coulson and Coulson in the younger years. And like, we barely got him. I think I immediately texted you. It's like, I love that we're at the point where the MCU can stunt cast based purely on continuity. Yeah. Coulson had no reason to be in that movie. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's crazy. We're in danger of becoming the anti-Coulson podcast. (laughs) Son of Cole, we are through with you now. Um, no, but it, it, but you're right. Like you know, and I, I still enjoy the character, love the character. The one shot was great. You know, the one shot hits differently now. Thinking about Sitwell, watching Sitwell, and is it Sit- Sitwell? Um, Jasper Sitwell. Yeah, watching Sitwell in this, in this, and I'm like, dude, that's that's a Hydra agent. Uh, so it hits differently now. Um, but yeah, no, you're you're 100 right on that. You know, but again, this watch, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting more out of Loki than I do Thor. Loki, I think has always been the secret shining star of the Thor series. Mm -hmm. I mean, Thor didn't get six episode series, so. No, (laughs) no. 
at best, he showed up in Frogthorn. Frog as Frogthorn. <laughs> well, yeah. I think unless we got any more in Act 2, we might be able to move into Act 3. Uh, yeah, let's do that. That is going to take us from Loki making a deal with Luffy back in Jotunheim all the way through the end of this movie. Jude, it's your turn this time. Where would you like to start within Act 3? One of the things that, that I, I noticed, and then we talk about the Disney Plus shows and how you have to have that final set piece, right? Your final action piece. And so I had that kind of in the back of my mind. Like, what would this be like if I chopped it up into, what, is that two hours, right? Into two two shows um, or, you know, one four 30 minute episodes like did did that in feel like a just kind of obligatory obligatory uh set piece um i mean i say it didn't oh it didn't like no like like i really did like the sequence um and the fighting you know i thought worked well you know it it wasn't i mean it was obligatory because that's just what they have right but it, it felt like and, and I'm I'm wondering if it's because it was a movie and naturally flows into it without that episode break, because it didn't it, because it just felt like this is just part of the movie. We're not filling time or have to have it because we need it, you know. Um, I also think there was there was a little bit of it, um, it just the the way it ended, you know. It I know we had Thor: The Dark World, but it could def- definitely I think sat as a, as a as a standalone piece. Like if we never saw Loki again, um, and, and, and those types of things. So, so in that sense, I was really pleased with how it ended. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to speak about this positively first. Before I get into my point. I'll, I'll go ahead and admit, I don't have as much notes for act three, but start with the positive. You know, I start I started talking about it in act one where I said, I liked how they, they did more, or I appreciated the work they did of how that opening fight sequence is an inverse of what we see him in this one. He's doesn't have his powers. He doesn't have his hammer. And, you know, when his friends show up to fight to destroy her with him, they're all excited about how he's going to join the fight. And he's like, no, you know, I'll only be a burden. I'll get in the way or worse, get one of you killed. So the entire time he switched from the Thor that was boastful and, and bragging uh, to a Thor that is more conscious of other people around him. And, that's always worked just functionally because this is a movie about him being humbling and learning to do self-sacrificial things. But hearing or sitting down to take notes and seeing what Odin had lamented him not taking to heart before stripping him of Mjolnir and deeming him unworthy, it just really clicked all together actually paying close attention to it those times. So I did like that. I think that all functionally works. <laughs> I think think the problem of the first two Thor movies, I know we're only reviewing the, this one, but I think I've figured out on why these movies might be on the lower end of the MCU rankings. It is unfortunate that Thor's hero's journey, even though it needs to happen and I understand why it happens, it makes him a less interesting character mm-hmm. <laughs> because 
even though he's super petulant and he's arrogant, at least there's some sort of tension with him and the world around him. But by the time that it gets to the point where Sif's like, they'll sing stories of this day. And he goes, live and sing those stories yourself. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like we, we lost the interesting part of Thor here. Yeah. And I think that carries over into the dark, the, the dark world as yeah. well. And I think why Ragnarok works so well is they've found a way to make him, I don't want to say fully a good person, but a person who is conscious of others while still being a little arrogant and a little oafish and a little texture to him rather than whatever he becomes at the end of this movie. Yeah. Well, hmm. I, it does fit, though, with the Norse mythology, right? They're gonna have, we're going to have mm-hmm. songs about you. It fit. Like I said, I get it. It all, it all makes sense yeah. to me. I just like the Thor before he got on board. <laughs> I mean, the, one of the big things the next morning from the bar is he's making breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, if the, if, that, if this was it, if this was just a, the, the first Thor movie and there's nothing else, fine. I get it. They live happily ever after. Thor is a changed, better mm-hmm. person. But we're going to get more. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be excited about this character. But we, but we don't know that at the time. <laughs> that's true. Well, we knew he, he was coming in the Avengers. Yeah. Okay. So that's fair. That's fair. And, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, some of the MCU timeline and planning gets a little murky of like, mm-hmm. how early on did they know it was going to turn all the way to where we get an end game? Because by this point, you're right. We know we're going to get Avengers. Because of contracts, like we know you're getting Iron Man three, like like so you know some of these others are coming, but just because it's on paper doesn't mean they actually have to do it. I think the best example of that, Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think was like signed on for like five movies, mm-hmm. and that's Quicksilver and Age of Ultron. So we know that's not necessarily indicative of how many entries they will actually yeah. be in. Yeah. So so yeah. So that's. Hmm. I still enjoy this movie. I still stand by last week's decision, but it, it re like sitting down to watch it. It was like, Oh yeah, that's why this movie I think starts to, to lower on people's rankings. He just, he becomes kind of boring for two movies. Well, it, uh, that and or a movie and a half Well, it, that, and, and you get the, this is not one that people I think get excited to go rewatch. Mm-hmm. You think it was like, Oh, I'm going to go back and watch an older MCU movie. I'm going to grab Thor unless you're just a really big Hemsworth or Thor fan, right? Um, or Hiddleston fan. Um, that See, another an, another episode idea just came to mind. What are the what are the most go-to rewatch movies? Ragnarok's got to be up there. Yeah. And, go-to and, for and me what, or and, go-to for... Well, I, I know for me and for you, but also just in general. And, and what phase did those come from? General. I hope I didn't derail this final act. No, no, I, I just, it just popped. That just popped into my head. Let's get back to Thor. We'll, we'll discuss that later. But, you, um, so yeah. Well, I think that's how they're telling is like how much of this movie, as we talk about it, brings up other questions related to other movies. How so? Um, well, just, just the here, like, like, okay, is this one that I'm assuming people don't go back to rewatch? right you know the the aesthetic and does that get pulled through so it, it's it's really interesting that the part of why it moved on in homecoming was this foundational and what comes out of it 
and all these little side tracks that we've had out of this movie, considering the larger MCU. I'm glad you brought that up because there was something I wanted to highlight in act one that I just didn't get around to, but I can circle back to it with this. There's a line where they're going to Jotunheim and Heimdall's like warning them about like, oh, you know, this is dangerous. And Thor's like, I have no plans to die today. It's very reminiscent of that line in Infinity War where he's he's like, only if I die, like he's very headstrong in that nature of refusing his uh, I don't even want to say mortality, but just the, the, the ability for him to lose. And so watching this movie there, another another one when they're in the bar with Selvig, he tells Selvig for the first time, I have no set plan. That's almost a direct line from Endgame. And whether or not they're referencing back and forth, who knows? But you can see the blueprint of Thor. You can see the elements of what they're trying to establish with the character here. But I think the groundbreaking part of Thor is the blueprint that became the foundation for the MCU, not necessarily the character. And they were still working that out. So that that's all solid. It sets up what becomes a foundation of the MCU, but they just hadn't quite figured out Thor yet. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up so I could highlight that because that was something that stuck out to me uh, with those two scenes really echoing things we see later. Yeah. Well, and Heimdall's line back, none do. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, okay. I had two thoughts to mine, but I'm actually saving them for straight thoughts. So Yeah, I've got straight thoughts too. I feel like, because I even, I think I admitted it, I, I didn't have very much of any notes for act three and a lot of it is because act three is very action heavy uh the only other thing that i would bring up before we get into stray thoughts uh two things actually you know we already highlighted loki and his search for purpose and what that means in this movie what it goes on to mean in the series it is wonderful work that loki is so repulsed by the idea of the purpose assigned by odin that he like his main goal switches to destroying Jotunheim and you know we can we can make that argument like okay he's been playing this for a while he admits that he was the one who let in the frost giants to mess up Thor's uh coronation but he even admits it to Luffy that was just for fun I just wanted to ruin my big brother's day I don't think Loki is as villainous of wanting to reject that purpose, wanting to destroy Jotunheim until that scene with Odin. So to finally get that catharsis where the um, deception's gone, it's just pure Loki acting out on his pain. It's you see all that in this final action sequence. I'm going to make dad proud. And he even says it like I could have done it, Odin. Mm -hmm. I could have. And he said, and Odin says no. And that's when he lets go. Yeah. So I just wanted to spotlight uh, Hiddleston's work because he's doing a lot of of, of great emotional scenes here. Really good stuff. So stray thoughts. This might be the quickest we've moved through a third. It now. is, I think so. <laughs> uh, okay, so real quick, I'll just do my two biggest stray thoughts. Um, man, didn't say much about Heimdall at all for having Idris Elba. Um, so they did him so bad. You know, um, and I can't remember timeline wise. Was Idris 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 Elba? Idris. Um, Idris Elba yet, you know, um, at least in the U.S. maybe versus the U.K. And, and, you know, I'd have to kind of look at that timeline in the career. Um, but, yeah, like that was kind of a – man, you could have done more there. Um, and we didn't really dive into Frigga much at all, especially for um, her return and in-game and, 
you know, and, and her uh, coming back up again in Loki, you know, and she was had her moments, but was pretty much a side character in this one. Yeah, Frigga, I think, starts to take more of a prominent place in the dark mm-hmm. world. I think they really found the emotional core with her there, whereas kind of what we talked about, symptomatic of the time, they just didn't really do a wonderful job writing the women characters in this movie, as evident by Darcy. Like I said, like the first few minutes of her introduction in WandaVision did more for respecting her character than this movie did, because it, it made me laugh where Thor's parting from them, and he's like, Jane Foster, Eric Selvig... Darcy, <laughs> they mm-hmm. just leave. Yeah. <laughs> so they they weren't really doing a, a, a great job on that front. Uh, but sticking with Frigga, I do want to point out again: there's almost no way this could have been planned. But it, it's one of those just happy coincidences that in the scene where where Odin's giving the speech about Thor becoming king, he goes, "Thor, Odin's son, my firstborn." And it cuts to Frigga, and she's kind of rolling her eyes. <laughs> and at this point, I, it's because we know of Hela. Yeah. But they wouldn't have known about Hela. So I thought that was just a very lucky coincidence on yeah. their part. Unless. Unless. We both watched it on Disney Plus, and they edited that back in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Disney likes to fiddle with the final products on their service. Hey, you know, Disney did buy Lucas Films from Lucas. Okay. So another one of my straight thoughts, you know, you talked about it in last week's episode where it, Ragnarok gets a little bit more credit than it deserves on the f- comedy mm-hmm. front. I think there could be arguments to be made that maybe Ragnarok is funnier. Yes. But comedy was at the humor or sorry, comedy was at the core of the mm-hmm. original. Yes. Thing. That entire second section is really funny. Just riddled with physical oh, yeah. comedy. Uh, constantly being shocked, which is ironic given the God yeah. of Thunder, uh, constantly being hit by the yeah. car. Uh, one of the scenes that stood out to me is whenever, again, that same one where he calls everybody name and leaves, he kisses Jane on the hand. And then as he walks away, Eric, uh, Selvig and Darcy don't know what to do. So they kind of do like this half bow yeah. <laughs> and they're both like confused. <laughs> and then... The final one I'll point out that made me laugh so much is when they decide that they're going to go find Thor. In the background, Darcy starts loading her taser <laughs> just silently. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is a lot funnier than people it give is, it credit it for. It is. Uh, so yeah, you hear that narrative of Ta- uh, Taika wanting to, to save Thor. I don't, he wasn't saving him from Brana. You know, so maybe it was Dark World... <laughs> Dare I I say Josh Whedon? Made him interesting. (laughs) I think Avengers Thor has a little bit more humor to him. Like straight up, not physical comedy. So it's like actually cracking jokes. Oh, well, he's adopted kind of thing. But I I think he got too serious in Dark World. Dark World, yeah. That'd be something to keep in mind when we get there and see. Because I can't think of any Thor jokes in the second one. Not not like uh, any jokes at all, just jokes that Thor makes. Age of Ultron. What do you think? There, there was the one Age where he were at the end and he was like stalling so Vision could come in and hit him with the hammer with Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's some in party, the party scene. Yeah. There's just not a lot. But I can't quite place it. No. Not, not enough that, that it clearly it's not memorable right this moment. So I wonder if that's the difference. There is humor, but the character himself became funny. Mm-hmm. In Ragnarok. Yeah. So, 
That'll be something fun to chart as we continue through these Thor yeah. movies. All right, finally, my last stray thought. And I tried to Google this. This is a quick cursory Google search. I didn't actually delve too deep, but I couldn't find a straight answer. Why is Hawkeye in this movie? <laughs> other than other than trying to build that world. I, that's the only reason why I think is is <laughs> the the building the world. Like you said, that that cohesive we know Avengers is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sticks out to me every... I think I remember watching it for the first time and being like, okay, that's kind of weird. This guy's getting a lot of screen time for being a nameless <laughs> archer. And it seems just like not cohesive with like the yeah. SWAT-esque military people. And then I didn't think anything of it. It sticks out a lot more now that we know who oh, yeah. Clint is, especially after the Hawkeye yeah. series. Well, it's funny you bring all that up. One of the things... I'm just going to throw this in as my last straight thought. That whole sequence definitely f- had a different uh, feel watching it after watching What If, because this is the one where um, Hank Pym goes yeah. through and What if the Avengers yeah, died? And, and and it was through this sequence because this is where Hawkeye shot him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stood out to me. The scene where Loki multiplies himself also takes a, a form in that same episode with Hank Pym. Uh, I forgot. I think it's Party Thor opens up with Jane and them in the van. And so that was brought up there. And in Party Thor as well, whenever Jane and Thor are headed to reclaim the hammer, it's not a one for one, but it's that similar vibe of that conversation where, and the what if I specifically remember thinking like, okay, here's going to be the moment where they dunk on the first Thor for having this weird forced relationship, because it's like, why is she into this guy? That's clearly not great. And the, the what if just redoes what <laughs> Thor did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 funny now going back after seeing what if, how that starts to all intermingle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh I I think that might do it for our Thor retrospective review. I think so. I enjoyed it. I you know, it's it's funny because you, you mentioned the feeling the pressure of you know, I, I probably said I said this on pod, I think, and definitely off pod, of doing this after having this beat Homecoming. Is it my favorite MCU movie? No, but I still think it's a solid entry. I really enjoyed the rewatch. I really think there's a lot of good things there. It's a it's a interesting capsule of the MCU getting off the ground running kind of thing. You see things working, you see what doesn't work, and you see what carries on through through the the franchise what's so funny and i'm glad you keep you brought it up of it's a good fit that we're doing this after last week we had already recorded the bracket episode when we decided to do this but it had not been out yet yes (laughs) so we made this decision before we saw people's reactions and and among the first ones was like four So it's been fun. That's a lot of fun. Can't wait to do another one. Yeah. Well, unless we got any final words, I think we can go ahead and put a bow on this All episode. Right. Let's take it. Let's take it in. So if you'd like to reach us, you can always reach us at MC you need to know both on Twitter and Instagram. Like I said, at the top of the show, I'm going to be taking a break through the month of June, uh, but you can go ahead and follow us on there anyway. Once we do get started up again. Yeah. And of course, long form. Reach out on, G- on, the, on the Gmail, uh, mcuneedtoknow at gmail.com. Jump onto the Discord, link at the below, um, or 
the phone number below. Give us a voicemail. Whatever works. Um, as I said at the beginning, I think both of us are looking to to looking forward to July after Trey's downtime and on social media and, and the downtime that I've taken on social media. Um, but again, a wonderful community there. Uh, we appreciate everyone that's listened and everyone that's joined in, um, and continue having that by sharing with a friend. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week with Ms. Marvel. I can't wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) Bye-bye. So, yeah. Uh, you looked to the side. You looked mysterious. <laughs> no, because I was, I was, all of a sudden you mentioned Miss Marvel. And I'm thinking, oh, guest, Miss Marvel. Okay. Who do we. <sighs> oh, we still got to settle on guest. I, so I think we never talked about it, but I think you're right. Pull back and then see how we feel. Yeah. For She Hulk. So three this year, this year, this uh, semester, this season. This season <laughs> of Miss Marvel. I'm not even a teacher. <laughs> you should, too. Go get, go get. Do a low stakes thing. Go get like your teaching media <laughs> certification. Show up first day of class. Just turn it off. No media. <laughs> Go read a book. <laughs> we are going to, for mental health, take downtime from October through November. <laughs> Roll our way into Christmas. <laughs> every every class day, it'll just be an hour of you just getting to unplug and rest. <laughs> That's what I want you to know about media. <laughs> just stay away. <laughs> Do you have any homework? Yeah, I just got to turn my stuff off. I don't know. <laughs> All right, class today's homework. Tweet and don't look how many likes it gets. Just let it exist as its own thing. <laughs> Do not deride self-worth from fake internet points. <laughs> Weird. You're going to break FOMO today? Everybody turn off your stuff? Because I just heard something big broke. <laughs> I can tell you what it is. The world's ending, but you're going to have to wait until the five o'clock news to find out why. <laughs> <laughs>